Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. At the time of this passage of Scripture being written, Israel is at an interesting time in their national journey. If you know anything about the history of the Old Testament, you would probably know that the journey of Israel began with a man by the name of Abraham, the father of the faith. This man who responded to the call of God and left a place later named Babylon at the time of Abraham's life. It was called Ur of the Chaldeans and set off on a life of journeying, arriving in a place that is now described as Israel, then called the land of Canaan. Abraham waited 25, 29 years and along came his son Isaac. Isaac then, we understand we have Jacob. Jacob gave birth to a son whose name was Joseph and so the family tribe descended into Egypt. For 400 years, this family tribe was oppressed and enslaved and downtrodden until along came Moses and really the story of Israel began to take on a life of its own when Moses arrived. Moses was the man who proclaimed freedom to Pharaoh, led the people of God out of Egypt. They entered the wilderness. They were delivered by plagues and signs and wonders. The Red Sea split in two. God protected them. God defended them. Then his successor was Joshua. Joshua leads them across the Jordan into the promised land. Once they get there, Jericho comes down in a day. Nations fall and kingdoms are vanquished. And Israel becomes the possessors of a choice piece of real estate. Their God is working great wonders on their behalf. The season of the judges and finally really the pinnacle of Israel's journey has to be the years of King David. This great man of God, warrior of God, worshiper of God, 
who, who, who caused them to have victory on the left and on the right. In every battle, they were victorious. Peace on all their borders, prosperity within, victory without. Then his successor, Solomon, built the, the temple, had great wealth and wisdom, and the nation enjoyed great prosperity and great times and great life. And it was a season, really, the golden years of the nation of Israel after King David, after King Solomon. We understood that unrighteous kings took the throne, that the hearts of the people distanced from God. And because of their compromise and their distance from the Lord, we understand that God began to let His people go. They distanced themselves from God and hardship came their way. First the Philistines, then other nations, then finally the, the Babylonians came and conquered the entire country of Israel. After them, they served the kingdom of Persia. And finally the Romans came and conquered the entire world, including the, the nation of Israel. For 400 years, there has been a time until this passage of Scripture is written, a period of 400 years during which Israel has served three kingdoms and known no prophetic insight. The book of Malachi was written in the year 424 BC and now along comes this prophecy in the year 4 BC. And so for 420 years, God has seemingly been absent from their national history. They are God's people, they are Israel, yet the God that they supposedly have a relationship with seems somehow absent from their day-to-day -day life. You know, I think the, the journey of Israel in many ways resembles the journey of every person in this room. Because when the nation of Israel is coming into Israel, coming into Canaan, when God is working wonders, when Moses is leading them, when David is causing them to have victory on the left and on the right, they are just living with an amazing sense that our God is for us. Our God is with us. I mean, why wouldn't we experience victory? Because God is with us. Why wouldn't we live in favour? Because God is on our side. They experienced victory, expected victory, lived with an amazing sense of blessing on the left and on the right. And you know what? In the early days of our lives, for many of us, most people, it's kind of the same. We come into this world with great hopes and great dreams and massive aspirations. We expect victory. Most children, nearly every child I'll have ever met, believes in a God, some kind of God, and expects that God to be benevolent and kind towards them. It's what we think. It's the way we're naturally programmed. But then we find Israel experiencing 400 years of adversity and difficulty, hardship, suppression, servitude. Difficult times came their way. Difficult times happened to Israel. Difficult times happened to them. Difficult times have happened to me. Difficult times have happened to you. And it's easy, isn't it, friends, in the middle of these kind of experiences to begin to question where God is in the middle of what's going on in my life. Israel began to look at themselves and they're thinking, well, you know, we know that God is real, but where is He? And where is His hand? And what's going on in my life? Even Gideon said, then if the Lord is with us, where are all His wonders? And it's easy to find yourself in a place where you begin to think differently about the God that you worship. 
See, it's very easy in times of good times, in times of blessing, when everything in your life has just been amazing and favoured and, and wonderful to believe in a God who is close to you, a God who is personal, a God who is engaged, a God who is present, a God who is active. But you know what I've discovered is that when life, when we encounter difficulty, when hard things come our way, when we go off the script that we had planned, it's, it's in those seasons that we begin to question what we know of God. We're asking ourselves, where is God? I mean, is He with me? Is He for me? Is He involved in my life? Is He active? Is He present? What kind of God is He? It was Bette Midler who sang the song, Born, I'm sure, out of difficulty when she's saying, God is watching us from a distance. He is out there, He is somewhere. We know that He's real, He looks down on us. But there is a distance between us and God. There must be because how can my life be the way it is if this God is present, if this God is involved, if, if this God is active, if this God is, is with me. And it's easy to live your life out of a kind of a belief in Jesus that puts Him a long way away. And we're here in this series of messages throughout the month of December as we celebrate Christmas. We're here during the series to lift up Jesus and to consider who He is. And the Bible tells us that Israel enjoyed the, sorry, endured these 400 years of challenge and silence from God. And then we find Mary and Joseph, this you know, inconspicuous teenage couple in love. But you know, Joseph and Mary are just these, these teenage lovebirds. When along come these amazing angelic visitations, first to Mary, proclaiming that she would be with child and she agrees to the Lord's will for her life. And then Joseph, her, her fiance, her betrothed, already kind of entered into a formal state that one day would lead to marriage. He is that she is pregnant after three months. She's been with her, her, her cousin Elizabeth. She returns and we can all tell that she's, you know, either been in a lot of McDonald's or, you know, she is with child and, and he wants to break off the relationship. And in the middle of the night, our passage of Scripture is when the angel appears to Joseph, to him. And the angel of the Lord says, the child is the son of God and the child is to be called Jesus. You, Joseph, are to call him Jesus. Isn't it amazing that God says, when my son is born into the world, I want his name to be Jesus. The word Jesus literally means the God or the Jehovah who saves, the God who saves. I want the name of Jesus. I want the name of my son to be the God who saves. That when Jesus comes to our lives, he comes not with judgment, but with salvation. That's so important that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it or to judge it, but to save it. That when God drew near to us, He came not, not with a, a scepter of judgment and shame, but, but with a cross of freedom and love. He came to us to set us free. That, that's the gift of Christmas. That's the God that we serve. That's the wonder of His love. That's the offer of Calvary is the God who came near to save us in spite of ourselves, 
in the middle of our adversity, with our problems, with all that we have, He came to us to save us. It's an amazing thing to understand that Jesus was the Son of God and He was born into this world. And the angel says, well, you are to call Him Jesus, but they will call Him Emmanuel. There's something about Jesus that is not only our Prince of Peace, but that God's Son stepped into this world. In the Message Bible, it says in John 1:14 that God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That God came near to us. See, it was easy for the Israelites in this period of time to call him Emmanuel because he turned up in the flesh. But Jesus made some amazing statements while he was here. In fact, the closing words of Jesus that are given in Matthew's gospel before he ascended on high is in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That our Jesus didn't just say, I'm coming to you and then I've been here for 33 years and see you all later, good luck with that. He's saying, no, no, I have come to you and my name is Jesus. But when you experience my working in your life, you won't call me Jesus. You will call me Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel simply means the God who is with us. The God who is present. The God who is there. The God who is active, the God who is involved. See, in seasons of your life, you can start asking yourself, where is this Jesus? Where is this God? I mean, somebody's here and maybe your whole life has been a little bit easy, but somebody who's been through a trial in this building knows what it's like to really question, to think, how can this happen to me if God is with me? And so we begin to get the kind of relationship with God, like Bette Midler described, not knowing that the kind of relationship God wants you to have is to know that He is with us. What a great promise of the Scripture that He is my, He is your, He is our Emmanuel. That our God is with us. He is with me on my good days. He is with me on my bad days. He is with me when I perform and He is with me when I fail. He is my Emmanuel. What an amazing thing to note that even though Israel thought that God wasn't with them, He always was. See, He's always been with you, man. He's always cared about you. He's always walked with you. Oh, the great fear of every Christian believer is that somehow God would leave them, isn't it? Oh, you don't want to yell, yeah. But in your dark moments, when you fail, it's in these seasons. Have you ever spent time in Christian counseling with people who have fallen into some kind of sin? Their great fear is that somehow God would remove Himself from them. Like somehow our imperfections would drive God from our relation, from our presence that Somehow we, we enter it, we allow bad things into our lives and then God is gonna beef a boogie and leave us in our darkness and in our sin and then we expect judgment. Not knowing that no matter how good you feel today about your amazing Christian faith, maybe you did get up this morning singing, I exalt thee, read your Bible, make your wife breakfast in bed. You're still not perfect, still undeserving of His love. Yet the promise of Jesus is that I will save you from yourself. 
and I will always be with you even to the end of the age. I don't know, somebody's here saying this is real simple stuff. It's not simple when you go through tragedy, when you, when you need Him and you discover that He is there. Listen, I don't know, you might have sin in your life, you may have a tragedy in your life, you may have a problem, whatever it is, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 tells us that even when we have no faith less, He, less, he left, He remains faithful. When I am faithless, he remains faithful when my faith is gone, when my hope is gone, when my promise is gone. He is hope. He is love. He is faith. He is promise. And when I stuff my life up, He makes my life up. He is Emmanuel. In the face of Jesus, we discover the God who saves us. In the name Emmanuel, we discover the God who is with us. We used to sing a song when I was a, a younger that said, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, something or other, Adonai, I will praise and lift you high. El Shaddai. The word El Shaddai comes from the book of Genesis where God is most often referred to as God Almighty. And the word El literally means God. And when we see the name Emmanuel, it is the L in the Emmanuel. It is literally two words actually translated into one Hebrew word, Emmanuel, the God who saves, or the God, sorry, not the God who saves, the God who is with us. If you're reading it just as it's written, you would say, with us is God. The God, God is with us. Or put it another way, with us is God. Ever pick teams for something? <laughs> I've never been a guy who likes it when teams get picked. I mean, maybe now I've got some new skills and talents and someone might be putting together a strategy team or something. I might fake my way in there. But when, you, when you're a kid, let's be honest, it all comes back to physical prowess. So if it's rugby, the big kids get first, picked first. If it's running, the fast kids get picked first. If it's cricket, then the bowlers and batters get picked first. And the not so fast and not so big and not so bowling and not so batting. Well, you know, let's just say that there might be a couple of kids left after me, but I was never at the top of the pile. And when you start to think about your life and you discover that God is with us, flip it, with me is God. See, how does David descend into a valley to take on a giant? An understanding, not of a Jesus who's out there, not of a distant God, but he knew that walking down into the valley, he wasn't alone, but with him was God. God is with him. He understood Emmanuel. That's why he can write, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me, Emmanuel, God is with us. God is with us. And every day of my life, God is with us. And every storm, every trial, every difficulty, every day, every moment, listen to me, every decision of my life, God is with us. With us is God. Emmanuel is an amazing statement to put over your life 
because it's literally saying that Emmanuel is not a requirement of God. It is a reality of God. He's not asking something from me. It's declaring something over me, promising something to me. Emmanuel is not God wanting something from us. It is God being something for us, declaring something over us. He's saying, man, Emmanuel, what does that mean? What do you want from me, God? Nothing. I'm saying to you that I'm there. Well, what do I have to do to get you there? Nothing. I am there. I am with you. I am Emmanuel. I will never leave you, never forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. It is an amazing thing to begin to live your life. I mean, I'm fired up about it. Just a simple thought that you can live your life with Emmanuel. See, God who is at a distance, it's comforting, it's benign. It's the God we want in our cutesy Christmas sermons. The, the bit middle of God is the one that people in your community mind want to come to church to hear about, this kind and gentle Jesus. But it's not, it's not the true power of God. Emmanuel is a transforming influence in any person's life when you begin to understand that He's not at a distance, He's not looking down on us from a million miles away, but God is with us. This is empowering, this is alerting, this is reassuring, this is, this is life transforming. See, Jesus was born as a baby, yet we understand that that baby became a man who became the Messiah and the Messiah went to the cross. And the reason why? Not for any fault in God, not any sin, not any wrongdoing, no, 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 no need for God to die. But the death that Jesus died was for my wrongdoing. Hebrews says that he was a man acquainted with sorrows, familiar with suffering. The punished, I think it might be 1 Peter, it's also in Isaiah, but anyway, it's in the Bible, I know it for sure. <laughs> that the punishment that brought our peace was put upon his shoulders. That when we're thinking about Jesus, when we're thinking about God, the folly, the, 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 the error of ever thinking that somehow God is out there, not knowing that the reason why Jesus was born was that the only way you and I could get out of our problem was for God to step into it. You ever heard the story about the guy stuck in the pit? Stuck down a hole, can't get out of it. Guy walks along. He says, help me, help me. He says, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, I can't stop. You know, and he walks on. Another guy walks along and says, you know, help me, help me. And he says, I, I don't know anything about holes. I'm sorry, I can't help you. Another guy walks along, help me, help me. And the guy says, I'm sorry, but, you know, I've got nothing. I've got no resources. I'm nothing within my power to do. And then his mate comes along. The guy says, help me, help me. And his friend jumps in the hole. <laughs> He's looking at his buddy and he's like, are you stupid? I'm in this hole. I was asking you to help me get me out and now you jumped in the hole. And he, his friend turns to him and says, yeah, but I've already been in this hole and I know how to get us both out. Wow. So the kind of friend you want is not the one who's saying, well, let me help you from a distance. You know, let me play part of this, but micromanage it from a million miles away. 
See, your life doesn't get changed by distant mentorship. That's why I think you need a church, by the way, but this is not a message for the church. But life is changed through proximity. Intimacy will change you. How do you cure dysfunction? Answer, you surround it by function. You, you immerse people in normality to cure them from their problems. And that is what Jesus did. He stepped into my chaos, to my confusion, my dysfunction, my sin, my shame. He jumped in my hole. He said, I'm, I'm here. I'm showing up. I'm present. And then what I couldn't get myself out of, Jesus delivered me from. If you believe that He set you free, give Him praise in this house this morning. He jumped in my hole. He's jumping into your problem today. He's there, He's present. He's Emmanuel. With me is God. He's with you in every situation. He's with us in whatever we face. Emmanuel means God felt my pain. God, Emmanuel means God is acquainted with my sorrow. Emmanuel means He bore my punishment. Religion wants you to think about the requirements of God, but true, true Christianity is making you think about what it's like to live your life with a relationship with God. Emmanuel, Emmanuel confronts our religion. It tears down the walls of our pride because it says you need Him and He's with you. And the power of the Christian journey is to live your life in relationship with this Emmanuel. He is so powerful. He is so awesome. And it is Emmanuel that makes the difference. See, church, I want you to understand that Emmanuel has appeared all throughout the Bible. We think that Jesus only is there in the New Testament, but read the Scriptures and you'll find that He briefly appeared, the Son of God, all throughout the pages of the Old Testament. He's always been Emmanuel. Jacob was a man who had experienced great success and favor with his life, in his life. You know the story of Jacob, how he deceived his brother and took the birthright, served his, his uncle Laban, ended up with two wives and great herds and manservants and maidservants. And he's heading back towards his family land, the conquering son returning home again. When the Bible says that in the depths of the night, a man wrestled with Jacob all night. Not just a man, but we know from reading the whole passage that the man was Jesus. That Emmanuel was with him and fought with him all night. Jacob is the successful business person in this room. See, I want you to understand that when you live your life not understanding that God is Emmanuel, it totally impacts on the way you live your day-to-day -day life. If, if you buy into the devil's deception, it will, it will filter your life in an impure direction. This, this is what I mean. If you live your life without thinking that God is with you, this is what the devil wants for Israel. What he wanted for you is to begin to live your life out of a paradigm that says that God is distant. We've forgotten Jacob, we're on to something else. When you live your life with a paradigm that has God at a distance, then you begin to take on a different lens through which you see the world. 
So now, if God is distant, if He is removed from me, and I am a business person, then it is on me. I better work extra hard. I better, I better shaft somebody else. I better be more cunning, more conniving, more focused, more disciplined. Because at the end of the day, God's up there, but me, I'm down here, and I better make the most of where He has put me. That's the business person. How about the person who suffered abuse or lack? If you've gone through hardship, if things have happened to you, if people have ripped you off, if you really have become the downtrodden in life and God is distant, well, then everybody owes me something and life is bad. And God, He's just as to blame as they are because how could a loving God leave me in this kind of life? And so we live in a prison, not a reality, but of our own paradigm thinking that God is a million miles away and I'm stuck here. And how do I get myself out of this? And the devil wants a generation to live their lives thinking that God is at a distance. That's why Jacob had to go through a night where he fought with God all night to discover a Jesus who is not a million miles away, but is actually there with him beside a brook, fighting with him all night until the morning. And he discovered that God would never, he would never overcome God. There's some things in your life you'll never be bigger than. And so Jacob had his socket dislocated by Jesus in the middle of the night and he discovered that there comes a point where you get to the end of you. And he discovered, friends, that the end of you is the beginning of Emmanuel. And oh man, I don't know what. Come on, yeah, give the Lord some praise. Do it, do it. The end of me is the beginning of Him. He's always been with me. He's always wanted to help you. He's always wanted to help me. He's always been there with me is... God, that's Emmanuel. And that promise of a God who would walk through me through my life has always been there. But sometimes I have to exhaust myself to find Emmanuel. Jacob discovered Emmanuel. Joshua discovered Emmanuel. When he entered into Jericho and finds him into Canaan, sorry, and sees a walled city in front of him called Jericho, and he has no answers for his present problem. Ever felt like that in life? Things have changed. Families have changed. Relationships have changed. Dynamics within your own personal world have changed. Jobs that you trained for don't exist anymore. Patterns of thought, ways you thought you were going, suddenly you find that these are not producing answers for you. Joshua has lived his whole life and never seen a walled city that he had to conquer. But the Bible says that between Joshua and the walls of Jericho, Jericho representing for us this morning that insurmountable challenge in your life, my life. Between Joshua and Jericho appeared a man with a drawn sword in his hand. And we know the man's name. The man's name is Jesus. And between Joshua and his problem appeared Jesus to show him that he's got an answer for a new problem, not just the old ones. He appeared to show himself as Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who has an answer for what I'm facing right now. See, I don't know what's happening in somebody's life this morning that they feel is bigger than they've ever seen, greater than they've ever encountered, more perplexing, more challenging, somehow overcome with feelings of how do I make it through this? And I want you to know, that Emmanuel is with you. God is with you. 
He is there. There will be for you a man with a drawn sword in his hand that will appear with an answer from on high. No decision is too big. No challenge is too great. Our God is with us. He is with us. It matters not the size of the walls of the Jericho. It matters not the size of your problem. It matters not the complexity of your issue. It matters only the might and the wonder and the reality of the Emmanuel who is walking with you every day of your life. He is Emmanuel. Gideon, the victim. Hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat. The Bible tells us that along comes a man, we know his name. Not an angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and his name is Jesus. And as Gideon is in the wine press, he looks up and sees this man, he is in fear, he is in hiding. And when you hear his words, God is nowhere to be found. When the angel speaks to him, Gideon's response is to say to the angel, where are all God's wonders? Where is God? Ever felt like that? There are people in this room that have been, had some kind of life that maybe, you know, physiologically doesn't resemble Gideon's, but emotionally it does. People have ripped you off. You try to move forward. Things have gone wrong. An abusive family background, a challenging environment some kind of depravity, whatever's happened to you, whoever ripped you off, whoever stole from you, your innocence, your love, your joy, your peace, you're the same as Gideon. Gideon is hiding in a winepress. His emotional state is fear and blame. He is the victim. And what an amazing reality to discover that when Jesus, Emmanuel, turns up in Gideon's life, his opening statement, Book of Judges, chapter six, verse 13. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. What God? The God who is with us is with you. Emmanuel has always been with you, Gideon. He's always been there. He's always walked with you. And you've got all you need to get out of this wine press and take your life back because God is with you. If you've got just one person and God, you can get out of your problem, get out of your depression, get out of your anxiety, get out of your abuse, get out of that neglect. There's a tomorrow for you, there's a blessing for you because God is with us. He is Emmanuel. And it took a literal appearance of Jesus for Gideon to understand that God sees us the way He sees us. He speaks to the potential in us that we never even knew we had. Go in the strength you have, Gideon, because I am the strength you have, Gideon. I am all you need. And my friends, we discover in Gideon's encounter with Emmanuel that God has got something about you you don't even know about you until we begin to connect with our Emmanuel. The band are gonna join me. The fourth time in the Old Testament we discover Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the bottom, are confronted by a challenge by Nebuchadnezzar and their challenge is bow to the idol I have constructed or face the fiery furnace. 
Their answer is to say, the God we serve is able to save us. But even if He will not, O King, we will never bow, we will never worship, we will never compromise. And the Bible tells us that these three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace. Where is God? What kind of God lets you go into the fire? What kind of God would allow you to have a sick child? What kind of God is there who would allow me to go through my pain, my, my difficulty? What kind of God is that that would allow these things to happen in my life? And, and we find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire, I'm sure filled with a lot of feelings about what's going on and where is God. And the Bible tells us that there appeared in the fire a fourth man. And in the book of Daniel, it says, a fourth man whose appearance was like the Son of God. His name is Jesus. Did Jesus transport them out of the fire? No. Cause the situation to end? No. But that same Jesus stands with every person in this room. He didn't say you, your life here will be absent of difficulty. He said in this world you will, you will face tribulation. You'll go through fires. But I'm with you always. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of that fire. The only things missing from them were the ropes that they went in with. And when you walk your life with Emmanuel, fires only cause you to find further freedom. What the enemy intends to destroy you becomes God's vehicle to liberate you. How can you say that, John? I can say that with confidence because though the grave takes my body, hell cannot keep my spirit. Because Jesus is with me. And the final sentence of victory belongs to our Emmanuel. And this Christmas, the greatest thing that any person in this room can discover is Jesus, our Emmanuel. Close your eyes with me all over this room this morning. Let's pray together. We thank you, Jesus. Our wonderful Emmanuel. God is with us. With us is God. We ask, Jesus, that your presence would fill every person, every life. I'm praying for Jacob in this room. Somebody trying to make it on their own. Doubting, not trusting. Working, conniving, deliberate. Exhausted, alone and afraid. And I pray for every Jacob in this room that they would find the beginning of Emmanuel. Even in this moment of peace, would you show yourself to them, Lord? Appear for them, Lord. I'm praying this morning, Father, for 
every Joshua in this room, every person who's got some crazy challenge, some big and insurmountable difficulty. I don't know what it is. Sickness in their body, chaos in their finances, conflict in their family, needing a new career, needing a new hope. And I declare over their life this morning that you are Emmanuel. I speak to every victim, Lord. Every person who's been ripped off, you see their pain. You know their heartache. Lord, you died for all the things that have hurt us to set us free from them. And I declare over every life this morning, every victim, every person who's been downtrodden by life, that there is more to them than they see right now. That Lord, you are dawning hope in their hearts. I speak to every person who feels like they're going through the fire today. And I thank you for the fourth man that appeared in the fire and I thank you for the fourth man that is with them this morning. Present, walking with us, never leaving us. There every day, comfort for today, hope for tomorrow. I declare that over every life in this room in the mighty name of Jesus. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.